a podcast designed to equip and encourage you as a follower of Jesus to go out and make and multiply more followers of Jesus in the local church. Hey, everybody. Hope everyone's doing great today. Um, and it is summertime still, but wrapping up, I am hopeful that we will be um, on our way to fall soon enough because I'm ready for hoodie weather. I'm ready for the Chiefs to be playing, even though they're technically playing, but the regular season to start, I'm ready for all the fall feels. Um, not necessarily pumpkin spice lattes out there, but that already started. So thank you, Starbucks, for that. Uh, but I am excited for fall. So hopefully you guys are as well. Um, and so today's topic is not about Oreos. And you might think that because of the title. To dunk or not to dunk? That's the question. And so I'm not going to spend my time talking about Oreos. I'm not going to spend my time talking about Dunkaroos. No. That's not what we're talking about. Today, we are talking about baptism on the Multiply Church podcast. And so uh, if you wanted to talk about Oreos, I'm sorry. Um, you can turn it off, but that's not what we're talking about today, even though I do think I'm pro-dunker now, as, a, you know, as opposed to early on in my life, I felt like I was just, let's eat them, I don't need the milk, but it it really is worth it. So there's your tidbit of knowledge for me as well when it comes to Oreos, but... Today, we're going to spend some time talking about baptism. Uh, This is kind of going to be a condensed version of my sermon that I preached. um, uh, Well, as we're recording it, it was this last week, but probably when it airs, it'll be a few weeks past it. And so, um, no, I know it will be a few weeks past it. And so this is a message I preached um, here at the end of August. And, you know, to me, it was one of those biblical theology sermons. It was, let's look at the landscape of scripture, specifically of the New Testament, what it had to say about baptism, what it is, what it's not, and what does that mean? And so I kind of wanted to come on and yes, I wanted to give the information that I gave in my sermon, um, but more so to kind of elaborate on two positions about baptism in evangelical Christianity. And then some others uh, within those two views that um, are debated, talked about, that sort of thing. And so we'll get into all of that. So if you're interested in baptism, this is it for you. And But we'll hopefully end on a good application point at the end. And so we got to ask the question, to dunk or not to dunk, right? Well, I'm going to be very pro-dunking <laughs> in this because I am a Baptist preacher. I'm a Baptist pastor. And so I am pro-dunking, uh, but we'll get to that uh, in a minute. But let's just set up the topic. What is baptism? Like when we say the word baptism, what are we talking about? Um, and to be honest, it's hard to even answer that question without dipping into the views because baptism to me, what baptism is, is a picture and a symbol of salvation. It's a picture of what has happened internally and we're revealing that externally through the waters of baptism. Now that would not be said of every view. And so here's what, here's what I want to do. I want to set up both views um, and then kind of talk about the spectrum in those views as well. And so this might be helpful to you if you've always wondered, man, how do, how do we talk about baptism? How do we talk about those two, the two major views, that sort of thing? And so here are the two major views. We have, uh, and we're going to get some big words, right? And this is going to be some good learning time. When we talk about baptism, we're either talking about uh, paedo-baptism or credo-baptism, credo-baptism, depending on how you say that. (laughs) So paedo-baptism is infant baptism. That's what we're talking about when we say paedo-baptism. When we're talking about uh, credo-baptism, credo-baptism, however you want to say that, uh, we're talking about confessional baptism or um, regenerate baptism or believer's baptism, all kind of the same word. 
That's what we're talking about when we talk about both of those views. <clears throat> now, within those views, there are some differences. And so I don't want to just paint the picture of like cut and dry, you either fall into one of these categories. There's a spectrum within some of these. And so um, let's first turn our attention to um, a position that I do not hold to. Um, and, I'll sh- and I'll share why. But um, that a lot of people in the world, a lot of Christians and a lot of believers uh, share this opinion, which is pedo-baptist, which means you can baptize infants, can pe- baptize babies. And so But within that, we got to be careful not to say, well, all infant baptism is just crazy and they're just a bunch of weirdos and all of that. Like we need to make sure we talk about the individual uh, denominations that have been created um, that hold to infant baptism because they are not all created equal. So let's take um, the largest uh, group of infant baptism in the Roman Catholic Church. So how does the Roman Catholic Church think about baptism when it comes to infant baptism? Well, they take the belief that um, baptism is a form, it's a sacrament, the word that they would use, but it's a form of, of God um, imparting his grace to you. And so that's what a sacrament is. It's, it's, it's a way for grace to be given um, to the person. And so what they believe is um, that baptism is a sacrament that you must do in order to, to, to be imparted grace and to be saved. And so that's why they baptize infants is because they believe that by baptizing your infant, they are now washed away from their original sin. Now there's a whole lot of things that I could talk about. Maybe that would be a fun podcast series to do is just kind of some, some theology and thoughts on the Roman Catholic church and you know, why we don't hold to that theology and all that. But uh, for the sake of this podcast, we'll just talk about baptism. And so they think, you know, when you baptize a baby, it washes them away from original sin. And they're in a sense, I don't want to say it fully, but in a sense, they are good to go right they are saved in a sense and um that's what they that's what they hold to and so that's why um and sadly i think um no not i think i know sadly that a lot of people who are in the catholic church that are not really that devout catholics but rush to get their babies baptized is because they're so nervous and they've been taught that if you don't you're not saved and that I must do that. And it's like, kind of like, okay, good. We're good to go. Like they can be, they'll be fine for the rest of their life. And so it's almost a, um, a cleansing of the parent's conscience, which I hate to say it that way, but it kind of is. And I'm not even sure a Catholic would say that, but there is a sense to that of just like, well, okay, we got it. We got to get him baptized and then we're good to go. There's all a lot of other things and sacraments that I could talk about, but that's what they hold to. And so that's why the Roman Catholic church is baptizes infants. Um, so that's kind of one big major category. And so, uh, I'll explain when I hope, give my position why I don't think that is applicable scripturally. Um, but let's just continue to explain some of the other, um, topics or the other, uh, views within infant baptism. So then you have a large group of people and I would kind of lump all of these are the same. There might be some differences within them, but we'll just for the sake of this lump them together. So then we have like the Presbyterian reformed, um, tradition of infant baptism. Not all reformed people, don't hear me say this, are infant baptism people. But there's a certain sect, the Reformed Church, uh, specifically Dutch reformers, but the Reformed Church would hold this this view. Um, And Presbyterians being one of the largest as well. and then also the Methodist Church. I don't want to exclude any Methodists out there that might be listening to this podcast, but um, they also hold to infant baptism. 
Um, and even within the Presbyterian and Methodist, there's some differences on that. So uh, let's just talk about Presbyterian reform because I know a lot more about that being in Iowa. We just, um, we have a lot of thoughts on that. And then we can even throw in Lutherans to that because <laughs> they, I, I want to lump them all into here because they generally speaking will all, they won't go as far as the Catholic Church would go and say, well, this saves them, this washes away them from original sin. They wouldn't go as far as that. You know, I need to dive a little bit more into some Lutheran theology, but I don't think they would say that um, in particular. Um, But they do baptize infants. Um, And so let's kind of zoom into the Reformed and Presbyterian uh, model, because I think that one is the one that has maybe some more merit, even though I disagree with them. I have some really great people that I follow and people that I look up to, people that I've communicated with over the years who hold this view and um, we just have to disagree. They're still brothers and sisters in Christ and we can disagree here. This is not a top tier issue, but I still think it's a significant issue. So you ask, what is a Presbyterian Reformed person? What do they think? Well, they understand baptism, not necessarily <clears throat> as a sacrament like the Catholic Church and not necessarily like a Baptist would a believer's baptism, but they would say baptism is a sign of the new covenant, which we actually do also think that just in a little bit different way. Um, but they would say it's a sign of the new covenant and they would link it and liken it to circumcision in the old Testament. And so, uh, the main passage, uh, that they, uh, well, there's, a lot, <laughs> to be honest, I've heard a lot of, and I've done a lot of research on this, um, not, you know, doctoral level research by any means, but, um, I have done some good, you know, research on this and I think I can articulate their, their position, um, fairly well. And I don't, want to ever come across saying that, um, that, how do I put it? That I don't, I don't want to ever come across bashing, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't want to ever come across in you hearing me saying, oh my goodness, like Adam thinks every Presbyterian is, you know, crazy and they're not like they make some really good cases, but the way that they do it is they'll look at the whole Bible and say, this is what we see when it comes to the covenants, covenantal theology and the signs that are associated with both and how there is a link. So they're, they're not really going to zoom into one particular verse. They're just going to say, well, let's look at the whole Bible and let's see kind of how this has played out in throughout the course of the Bible. Uh, they do have some specific verses that they will use that I've seen, um, you know, pastors use uh, plenty of times um, to defend this. But let's... Um, Let's just explain a little bit more on on biblical theology. So what they would say is, so you know circumcision, right? Like, yeah, okay, yeah, I know circumcision. <laughs> and so then you would say, well, in in circumcision, in the Old Testament, God signified who his people was, uh, who his people was. I don't know if that was correct grammar. Who his people were um, by the sign of circumcision. And so we have back in the Old Testament where God specifically commanded Abraham to circumcise uh, himself and then also their, their male children. And they had a whole stipulation on this. They had like specific days you had to do it within and, and yada, 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 all that. You can see that in the Old Testament. And circumcision was a massive part of the Old Testament. So I don't want to downplay it. It is massive part. And so they would say that God gave that gift to his church or his church, <laughs> I should say, uh, his people, um, um, 
the Israelites uh, in the Old Testament as a sign of their covenant between God and them, and that um, that like I said, it signified who the people of God were. It was a outward symbol, even though you don't show it. Um, hopefully not. Goodness gracious! Um, but it was an outward uh, sign for them of who the people of God were and who weren't. That's how. And then you can see throughout the Old Testament, even even bleeding into the New, that the Israelites took that way too seriously, and they were like, "Man, if you're not circumcised, then you're not it. You're not the people of God." Yada yada. So that's a whole other topic, but. So they say that is what circumcision is. And then they would say, well, okay, baptism, now we're in the new covenant. Now Jesus has come. Now we're under a new covenant. Um, The old has passed away. The new has come. And now God has given the gift of, of baptism to symbolize that. And so you say, well, where do they get that scripturally speaking? Like, where do they see that in the New Testament? Well, they're going to use a passage um, like like Colossians 2. Um, like Colossians 2. So let me read it for you just so that you get some understanding of what I'm talking about. Colossians 2. Uh, where should I start? Let's... Um, Starting in verse 11, Colossians 2, 11, it says this, and this is a whole passage about Christ. And anyways, uh, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Um, he says this, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh. And God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Like that's such a good passage, right? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's a great passage nonetheless. But you can see kind of where they link the two. They say, well, hey, look, circumcision's here and also baptism. And so what, how they read this text is that there is a clear link between circumcision and baptism. So they'll use this passage to defend that. But they'll also take a more of a biblical theology approach. We're not necessarily talking about individual passages, but just kind of getting an overall thought, uh, flow of thought throughout the Bible. And to be honest, like you have to concede with that position that there are some links, right? Like they are correct. Circumcision was kind of, was the sign of the old covenant and baptism is yes, a new sign of the new covenant yet, but that does not mean, um, just cause there's a correlation, like does like, does not mean that they are the same thing. You see what I'm saying? Like, just because there is somewhat of a link to them does not mean that they're equal. And so what they do then is, so since, so this is getting back to baptizing infants. So since circumcision was done um, to male babies, they take the case that baptism then must be done to infants, to babies. You see the connection. Circumcision was a sign. They did it when they were babies. So baptism must be done as well. If it's also a sign of the new covenant, then we must baptize our babies. Now, the Presbyterian Reformed tradition, I think even quite a few Methodist tradition will not say that it saves you or anything like that. There could be some differences in there I don't have time to get into, but 
by and large, they don't say, well, we're not, we're not saying that baptism saves you. That's not what we mean by that. We're just saying it is a sign that you are now in the people of God, that you are being raised by believers in your, in the people of God as a Israelite child would be like, you are being raised by Israelite parents. Like you were raised by Jews. Like you are in the people of God, the chosen people of God in the old Testament. And now in the new, the chosen people of God is the church. And so when you baptize your infants in the church, you as the parents, you as the believers are saying, I'm going to raise my child in this church. I'm going to, in a sense, we don't say it like this. They wouldn't say it like this, but they're dedicating, they're, they're, they're signifying that this child is going to be set apart. It's going to be different than the other child, the other children in the world that are not raised in the church, that are not being raised by Christian parents, but they will not say it saves you. So we definitely agree on that part, but they see baptism not as a sim, uh, as a symbol and a sign post salvation, but they just see it as, Hey, this is, this is just signifying that God has a chosen covenant between his people, the church and him. And this, this is, this is just signifying that they are now set apart and they will still have to come to a point and later in their life and, and, and be saved. They, they will will. They'll, they'll have to do that. So we're not saying it saves, but they would say um, that it is a sign. So I hope that kind of understands that position a little bit more for you. So even like I said, within this idea of pedo-baptism, infant baptism, there is some differences here. And so we want to make sure that they, the differences are clear and and what we definitely want to say is not correct. We definitely want to say it does not save you. And the reason we say that is passages like Ephesians 2, right? You're, you're saved by grace alone. Um, it was by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2 says, right? It's not of your own works, but it's a gift of God so that no one may boast. For grace you have been saved. And so we have to say, well, no, baptism, it can't save you. It can't save you. There's other passages as well, but that's just one. And so even in even as I talk and think through the Presbyterian reform tradition and I can like see where they get their points. I can say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And but we're just not going to read second. We're not going to read Colossians 2 the same. And let me show you why it says this in Colossians 2, that passage that I read in verse 11. In him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Okay. They want to link physical circumcision there, but that is not what Paul is talking about. It says, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Throughout the entire Old Testament, circumcision, yes, was a physical sign, but God was always more interested in circumcising their hearts. Time and time again throughout the Old Testament prophets, you see, you yes, you Jews have been circumcised on the flesh, but you have failed to soften your heart before God. And it was an indictment upon Israel. It was an indictment upon the Jews that they would yes be circumcised in the flesh, but they would have no heart inclination towards God. And I think that's exactly what Paul is picking up here. He's saying, you Christians, no, 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 you were circumcised without hands. You have been circumcised in the heart. I can give you plenty of passages in the Old Testament, but I won't for the sake of just time here and me flipping through it <laughs> on my computer here. But um Time and time again, you, you're circumcised in the heart. Like it, it shows like you've been cut to the heart. You have been changed. And he's saying you, you have been circumcised, made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh. So he's talking about something inward here. And then it says you have been buried with him in baptism. So yeah, there is a link. There's a link, I would say. Here is the link. I think there's a link between circumcision of the heart 
and salvation. There is a link there, right? When we become Christians, when we are saved, in a sense, it is circumcising our hearts. We are taking out, rooting out. We are not. God is removing the old sin, the old flesh away from us. He is circumcising our heart and putting a new heart within us. And it says here in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. He is obviously linking not physical circumcision to baptism, but a spiritual aspect of circumcision later on in life when you were understood and you follow the law and it just, to me, it's not a good correlation to say, well, he's physical circumcision and baptism. They're linked here. Obviously we have to go with it. I don't, that's not true from that passage. And I think you can, you can see that. And so baptism, um, if we were to use this passage is simply a picture. That's what Paul is doing here. It's a picture of someone, a believer who has now seen the gospel, heard the gospel preached and now responds, repents of his sins and believes in Jesus. And in that process, the Holy Spirit goes into that person's life, roots out the sin in their life, circumcises their heart, if you want to use that language, and makes them new. And, and baptism picture, pictures that. Um, okay, so there's my <laughs> defeat of <laughs> that position, which I'm already showing my cards describing the, uh, the, the confessional or believer's baptism mode. And so what we mean when we say that is we're saying that baptism needs to be done post salvation. And it is a, it is a, an action done by a believer signifying their new life in Christ. And so you say, where do we get that, Adam? Like, is that biblical? It is. Let me show you. There's a lot of passages you could go to, but I think Romans six, um, and Ephesians 2, in my opinion, actually, is a, is a pretty good uh, verse for this. But let's read Romans 6, um, just to show it to you. Romans 6, um, ver, and I'll give you some context here. We'll start in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we discontinued in sin that grace may abound? So this this whole argument that the, the Roman Christians... Uh, issued was, well, if, if grace covers a multitude of sin, let's just keep sinning. So grace may abound. And Paul says, no, by no means. Verse two, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And so here's what happens, what Paul does next. He's going to link baptism to salvation in a very unique way. He says this in verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. So what Paul does is he links this picture of baptism to salvation. He says, don't you remember like when you were baptized, like, like, you were buried with him and baptized into death in order that Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead, so too you were raised from the dead. And so my question to infant baptism people would be this, if what Paul is saying here is that baptism signifies that you were once dead and now alive, that is not true of an infant. That's just not true. Because if baptism, as Paul says here, details what's going on inside the heart of a believer now that you might walk in newness of life, an infant, once they get baptized, unless you're the Catholic faith, which we won't hold to this, um, you would have to say that that baby now can walk in newness of life and, 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 and they're not dead in their sin anymore. And the Reformed tradition and Presbyterians would hold would say no, I, that's not true, but 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 that's where you have to go if you if you can see Romans six where it truly is. Baptism is showing outwardly what has happened inside of a believer, 
and that cannot happen um, uh, for an infant, for a baby. Um, and so that's why it's one place we go to. Another place, in my opinion, that gives a perfect picture of baptism is Ephesians 2, even though it doesn't mention baptism at all. And Ephesians 2, you know, it's a famous passage of scripture. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and once you once walked. So he, he lays this case out. You were just, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, and then he gets to this in verse five or in verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up. You can see the picture of baptism. You've raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for grace, you have been saved. So to me, this is picturing uh, salvation. This is detailing what salvation is and baptism with understanding Romans 6 and other passages of scripture. Um, baptism is a picture and a symbol of what has happened. And so that's what we mean when we say believer's baptism. It happens after salvation and it is a, a, a picture, a symbol. It's also a declaration of your faith. This is what has happened to me. I was once dead and now I am alive. Um, in that Romans 6 passage, Paul will continue on and say, Romans 6, 11, he says this, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. An infant is not dead to sin and alive in God yet. He's, he or she is just not. Only a believer can say that. Only one who has been born again, as John chapter 3 would say. And so baptism in the, the believer's baptism model is a declaration of your faith. It's a picture of salvation. It's also um, uh, a command. It's an act of obedience um, post-salvation. Um, we see no place in Scripture where baptism happens before salvation. We always see it after. Repent of your sins and then be baptized. So the New Testament doesn't give any leeway for this. It doesn't say, well, there's some cases here. And an infant baptism position will look at some of the passages in Scripture, and specifically in Acts, where it says, and their whole household was baptized. And so their, their thoughts, and I've heard plenty of people say this before in that camp, they'll say, well, there's got to be a baby in that household. See, so there you go. That's an argument of silence, and it's kind of ridiculous, in my opinion. I really don't know why they use that, and they still use that argument. It just doesn't make sense. You, you are literally saying, well, there has to be. Well, there could also be a dog in that household. But when we baptize in our dogs, well, I mean, some of you might. But <laughs> it's it, you can't make that argument. You can't make that argument because in those times in Acts, it says, yes, their household believed and was baptized. Oh, it said believe first. So their their household was communicating those who had the ability to understand the gospel and believe, and then they were baptized. It just doesn't, it just doesn't hold water. And so what we see in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, we see that it was an act of obedience following your salvation. And so that's that view. So you can see both of these views, Pato baptism, creative baptism, believer's baptism, however you want to say it. Um, and I think that gives you kind of a good overall um, understanding of what both of these um, views are within some, um, within some of those, there's some uh, range, if you will. Even within the believer's baptism model, there's some denominations who are going to vary a little bit. They'll say, yeah, absolutely. It is after salvation, but they're also going to say, well, you have to be baptized to be saved. You have to. And we, we, me as a Southern Baptist, would not say that. We would say, well, that doesn't hold weight when you talk about the thief on the cross um, or when you talk about someone who, who is on their deathbed. Um, we, do, we just don't, we can't, we believe you can't say that scripturally because it just would would be um, 
it would be adding to the gospel. Um, we believe that Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. I mean, it doesn't say you have to you, you be baptized in there. Right? Even though it's so important, we don't want to minimize it, um, but it's not the same thing as salvation. It's just not. It's it's an, in, an integral part. We have to, it's, it's so linked together. That's why we don't want to separate it. We don't want to diminish it. Um, but so even within the believer's baptism model, there's some that, vary a little bit too so okay that was a lot i feel like i talked really fast through all of that so hopefully you can slow it down <laughs> hopefully you're not listening to me on one and a half speed it's gonna go really fast um but hopefully that just gave you an overview on some good theology some good doctrine on some what some people believe about those and hopefully i'm hoping <laughs> that you can see the case that it should be a believer's baptism view and that um, baptism is such a powerful there's no better picture of scripture that's why that's why Jesus commands it in the Great Commission. There's just no, be- there's no more beautiful picture than baptism. Someone who goes under the water, signifying they're dead in sin, being washed, being washed by Jesus in the blood of Christ, and then being raised, coming out of the water, being raised with Christ. Like there's no better picture of that. And so, to me, not only yes, we should obey because it's commanded by Christ, but man, we should do it because it is such a powerful declaration of what has happened on the inside, a dead sinner being made alive in Christ. And so, yes, a lot of theology today, but here's the application that I want to end on. Um, If you have not been baptized, if you have not been baptized after your salvation, I would encourage you, if you are in our church or in another church, go talk to your pastor. Um, Be baptized. Um, It is a powerful declaration of your story. If you are now a believer in Jesus and you have not been baptized, go do it. I would urge you to do it because it would be such a powerful story that you can tell about how God has made you alive together with Christ. And if you have maybe in the past um, been in a tradition where it's been an infant baptism and uh, maybe you haven't even come to know the Lord yet, let me urge that first. Be saved. <laughs> Be saved. Um, but start asking some questions about baptism. Like, what did my infant baptism mean? Kind of depends on the tradition you were in, but like, let's ask some questions. Go to your pastor and you might walk away disagreeing with me on this and that's okay. Like, we can still be friends and we can still be believers in Christ together. And um, But we want to make sure that you're saved first and that you're not just using baptism as a get out of hell free card and just get to heaven because that's not going to be it. You only get to heaven because of Christ's atoning work on the cross and you believing that, that salvation, that's being born again. And baptism, in our opinion, just symbolizes that. So don't use that as a way just to be like, all right, I'm good. I've been baptized. Check off the list. But like, really like evaluate where your heart is right now. Like, am I saved? And have I been baptized after that? And so just start asking some good questions and we'd love to walk with you if you're in our area with that. But if you're not, make sure you go talk to your pastor um, right away. Let's be baptized. Let's declare your story, your powerful story of being made alive in Christ. All right, guys, I think that's it with the theology session today. Always good to talk about some good doctrine and theology. So hopefully that blessed you guys today, wherever you're at, whether you're driving in the car, whether you are um, on lunch or whatever you're doing, may God bless you guys. May um, he continue to abound his grace and his peace more and more and multiply it in your life. And so um, we hope and pray that that would be the case uh, in your lives. 